Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here we go. It's a brand new Flyers Daily for the 25th of October as the Flyers off day yesterday, coming off that 3-0 loss Sunday evening against the San Jose Sharks. The back-to-back games over the weekend, Nashville 3-1 win on Saturday, and they're back at it in practice today. And we'll see how they start to process a couple of key guys being benched in Kevin Hayes and Travis Konechny in that third period of that loss against the San Jose Sharks. Got to move forward, got to move forward in a productive manner, and we're going to get to some Flyers Twitter questions. And we're going to get to some Flyers Twitter questions in this episode as well regarding that and uh, some other elements, including some injured players. So we'll get to that in just a minute. But as we sit here on the 25th of October, Flyers have played six games, and a lot of us didn't think they'd be 4-2 and two after six games, especially considering the schedule that they've played thus far. I mean, you've played some pretty good teams. you got to win over Tampa on the road. you got to win over Nashville on the road. Yeah, you beat New Jersey, who is supposed to be better, but frankly only finished two points ahead of the Flyers last season. And Vancouver so far this year has been an absolute tire fire. I mean, I don't know what's going on out there. They're still winless, 0-4-2 on the season. And talking to my buddy Kevin Woodley from Ingold Magazine, he's out there in Vancouver and covers that team for NHL.com as well. And he's astounded how ugly it's gotten there already. I mean, that's to get that ugly that quick is unbelievable, but Vancouver in a bad spot right now. So I thought it was a good opportunity before we get to the Flyers' Twitter questions just to look and see where the Flyers are in some key categories in the NHL. You know, it's only six games in for them. Some teams, like the Caps, have played seven games. Some teams have only played five games. But we can kind of start to get a barometer where they are here in this early going. And and do the numbers, are they the reason why they have the record that they do? Now, some of these numbers obviously matter more than others. Face-off percentage is not one of them. They're 31st in the NHL in the face-off dot, just over 41%. Only Seattle at 40% is lower than the Flyers. That has not been a number that has precluded them from starting out with that 4-2 and two record. As, you, as for goals four, it's odd because the Pittsburgh Penguins are leading the NHL in goals four. They're off to a great start, 4-0-1 through their first five games. They're in the top spot of the Metropolitan Division. They're averaging 5.2 goals per game, only allowing 2.2. So when you're ahead three goals per game on average, that's pretty darn good. Again, this is a small sample size, but 5.2 is a big number. Buffalo is the second team in the NHL at 4.4 goals per game. And even without Brad Marchand, the the Bruins are off to a fantastic start, 5-1, and and scoring 4.3 goals per game. So where do the Flyers rank in the NHL in goals for per game? Now, obviously, small sample size, one-sixth of these, they were shut out against San Jose. So that's going to knock them back pretty good. But 2.83 is where they are, including that San Jose Sharks game. And that is 24th in the NHL. For example, they're just ahead, or actually they're tied with the New Jersey Devils, who have a record of 3-3, three and three, and just behind, can you believe it, the Toronto Maple Leafs, who have Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews on the team. When it comes to goals allowed per games played, the Flyers are allowing 2.33 goals per game. Now, the most goals per game being allowed right now is the Minnesota Wild at 5.4 
that's a huge number. Uh, and obviously not good. The Canucks are up there in the top five as well at number four. Coyotes, Ducks, and the Los Angeles Kings. Even the Washington Capitals, who made a change with Ilya Samsonov and moved him this summer, are, are 3.43, and they're eighth in the NHL. So where do the Flyers rank? Flyers, in this category, very good. The 27th most goals allowed per game. So that's, I mean, 27th, obviously very good. In this scenario, if you want to invert it to kind of get a better gauge, they allow the sixth most fewest goals in the NHL. The only teams that have allowed less goals per game are the Buffalo Sabres at 2.2. Same with the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Vegas Golden Knights at 2.17. And they don't even have the goaltender they intended to have this year in Robin Lehner. Uh, The Dallas Stars under the great goaltending of Jake Ottinger at two goals per game and the St. Louis Blues, who we'll see next week, at 1.67 goals per game. Now, as of recording this, the Blues have only played three games, but still the Flyers sixth in goals allowed in the NHL. Power play percentage. Flyers went their first four games, had a power play goal in every one of those games. Haven't had one in the next two. Had one was taken away against the Sharks for offside. Uh, So they're clicking right at 20% right now, and that's 18th in the NHL. So they're basically right right in the middle of the pack, average on the power play. Uh, When you look at the penalty kill for the Flyers, another area that needed massive, massive improvement, also sitting at that same number, 18th in the NHL, clicking at 77.8%, tied with the Rangers and just below the Florida Panthers. So special teams has been better. It hasn't been spectacular, but it certainly has been better. So that's a good thing. And when you see that Carter Hart has a 949 save percentage, you go, okay, well, the goalie's your best penalty killer, and Carter Hart's been their best penalty killer. But the team overall structurally has been better on the PK as well. All right, so shots four. These are the categories that to kind of befuddle me at times. The Penguins through five games averaging 39.8 shots per game. It's a ludicrous amount. The Devils allowing 39.5. You know, the interesting thing about the Penguins, 39.8 shots per game, they're also allowing 35 shots per game. When So they're plus 4.8 shots per game. The Devils are generating 39.5 shots per game on average and only allowing 21.3. That's an 18.2 shots plus difference for the New Jersey Devils. Yet they have a record of 3-3. Three and three. It, it almost belies the numbers again and defies them. Mackenzie Blackwood, though, gave up three goals in a second period and on an expected about .81 goals allowed for expected. He hasn't been very good uh, for... Uh, the New Jersey Devils. But as for shots for games played, when you look at the Flyers, where do they rank in the NHL? They're 27th in the league. They're averaging 28 shots per game. They allow 33 shots per game. So the highest number in the NHL of allowed shots per game is the Anaheim Ducks at 41.2. Sabres also allow 38.8. The Flyers, in what they allow at 33, is the 11th highest in the NHL. And as I mentioned, their faceoff percentage is not very good. 41.5%, only one team worse than the Flyers in the faceoff circle. And that is uh, the Seattle Kraken, who are at 40 flat. And just ahead of the Flyers is Detroit, who Detroit 42% in the faceoff circle. You know, a, a half a point ahead of the Flyers. 
they're three zero and two. <laughs> so some of these numbers in a small sample size don't tell us a true story. Maybe through a whole season they do, but they're not telling a true story uh, right now. One that's at least consequential. So let's get to some of these Flyers Twitter questions. I put out a tweet yesterday at Jason Mert on Twitter. I said with a couple of day break for the Flyers, now's a good time to take some questions for Flyers Daily. Coming off a 3-0 loss, but a 4-2 start. Fire away with any questions, and we'll get to as many as we can for this episode. So let's start with for who, for what. One of the great sayings from Ricky Waters, first game he ever played as a Philadelphia Eagle. He said, is Atkinson really still alive? Cam Atkinson, Eric, Flyer Eric, tweeted and said, what's up with Atkinson? You know, he didn't make the road trip. A couple of the injured players last week did make the road trip and practice or skate while on the trip. Atkinson did not. I'm not sure of the status of Cam Atkinson. I was talking to somebody at the game on Sunday and just said, you know, we haven't really heard much. He didn't take the trip. Is this getting concerning? Because he's an important player for him. He's their best pure goal scorer. He's a veteran presence. He's a leader, and he and he was the conduit between the players and and Torts. Yet he hasn't played yet, so I'm not sure what the status is. I can assure you he's still alive. So to answer your question for who for what, uh, he is still alive, but I don't know what the status of his return is at this point. It looks like we could see um, Owen Tippett maybe Thursday night in the game against the Florida Panthers, his former team. And we, we haven't seen him since the first game of the year. Uh, played a period, basically. And maybe Rasmus Ristolainen. So maybe we're getting some guys back. Uh, but Cam Atkinson, I'm not sure, is going to be one of them. Which leads us to our next question. Clarky tweets in, Snake 80 And he says, any word on when Coots is likely to return? Uh, I know he's been skating quite a bit. I don't think he's been cleared to practice with the team. Certainly not in a, in a contact situation. Um, but... Hoping to get an update on him soon. I I think he's probably still a couple weeks away, uh, but I don't think it's like more than a month away, barring obviously any setbacks. So to get him back, I mean, to get off to this start four and two with no Couturier, no Atkinson, no Ristolainen, no Patrick Brown, who helps you with the, that face-off percentage. I mean, you're missing some, some pretty key guys. Owen Tippett's a guy that we want to get a look at this year and really see what he can do at the NHL level. So you're missing some key guys here, and to get off to that 4-2 and two start, um, I mean, despite the fact that they had the 3-0 loss against San Jose, 4-2 and two start, all things considered, pretty damn good. Uh, let's get to uh, Brian Arnold, Crypt Keeper, at Philly Radio Geek. He says, what are the Flyers doing differently in these first six games than what they did last year? Um, well, I think, you know, what they've done differently, I think they're, even though they've given up, a good amount of shots, and we just went over that, 33 a game. The predictability of the defensive zone environment for the goaltenders has been much better. I think I talked about this with Bill on yesterday's episode. The backdoor coverage was non-existent last year, and that's a real problem for a goalie because if he's not confident that backdoor or weak side pressure is not covered, then he's leaning because he knows he's in trouble. And you can't lean in the NHL. The, the, it's too unforgiving. They'll exploit it. But the defensive zone structure and coverage has been very good. And it's again, it's not the volume of shots. It's the quality. A lot of shots have come from the outside and been clear-sighted. And every goalie will tell you they love those. Let's them feel the puck 
and builds up confidence in how they feel and making them feel bigger in game. And they'll take all those in the world. The ones you don't want for a goalie are the backdoor ones with no coverage, especially east-west plays, rebounds, and layered screens. Those are the ones that are hell for a goaltender. Uh, So I think that they've had better defensive zone structure. They've had some breakdowns. Some guys have gotten lost on plays. You know, Nick Delarier turned over a puck in the San Jose game in the third period. And I mean, it was an egregious backhand turnover that just went nowhere. And, you know, the San Jose Sharks player went right in on Felix Sandstrom. He made the save. Your goalie needs to bail you out. You're just going to be mistakes. But overall, I would say from a defensive standpoint, the structure has been a lot better. And then I think the other thing that they've done better and they've done differently is mental. Not letting the opposition score the first goal of the game or even the second goal of the game. Sink you mentally. Keep battling. Stay with your system and keep working and see if you can get back in the game. And they've done that and they've battled back. So that's a good thing. Uh, At Wisecracks says, is it worth tanking for Bedard or should we go for it with the Phillies mentality that anything can happen? Well, the Philly, look, baseball and hockey are totally different. I mean, baseball has a luxury tax, but not a salary cap. So the way you approach it is totally different. And you can buy players in baseball. You know, the Phillies went out and basically, you know, signed and gave Bryce Harper an insane amount of money. Look at the dividend it's paid. It's been worth it. And he's the face of, you know, the franchise. And a guy that's 30 years old in his prime, two-time MVP winner. Uh, As for Bedard, I mean, he is, I mean, I don't even know how to state this without slighting him. He is unbelievable, like a total freak. I've mentioned a bunch of times, I don't throw the word generational around a lot. A lot of people like to throw it around. Oh, a generational guy at the top of the draft. They said that about Austin Matthews. I don't believe that Austin Matthews is generational. I think he's a superstar, but I don't think he's generational. You can't add the generational tag to too many guys because then it's not generational. The generational guys in the NHL, as far as I'm concerned, since 1980, obviously Wayne Gretzky, generational. Mario Lemieux was generational. Eric Lindros was generational. You look at Sidney Crosby, generational. Ovechkin, generational. McDavid, generational. But that's where I stop. I don't go with guys like Austin Matthews as generational. Great players. Great, great, great players. But I don't go generational. Bedard, generational. When you see that in his underage year in junior, he had 45 more points than when Connor McDavid had his underage year in junior. I mean, that's incredible. He's not that big of a body, but he is just unbelievably talented. It almost freaks me out, to be honest with you. How can a person be that much more talented than all the best players in his age? You know, there's some great hockey players. And then there's this one guy who's just head and shoulders above the best players in the world at their age. That's what Connor Bedard is. Is it worth tanking for him? I don't believe in tanking. I don't believe in, you know, trying to lose. I think that does more harm than good in a team sport. The Sixers tanked for four years. And I think they're being punished by the sports gods. They haven't gotten past the second round of the playoffs. Now, the NBA is different than the NHL, too. 
one player in the NBA can be more of a, a catalyst than a player can in hockey. You got four forward lines, you got twelve forwards, and six D that play in, a, in an NHL game. They all see ice time to varying degrees, but is it worth tanking for them? No, because even if you have the worst record, like Detroit had a few years ago and ended up picking fifth and picking up more at Cider, or in 2017 when the Colorado Avalanche had the worst record by 40 standings points and ended up picking fourth, the lottery system is weighted to go against that. So no, I don't think it's... Uh, it's not that he's not worth tanking for. It's that tanking doesn't really get you much of a guarantee of anything. Uh, let's go to the next question here. Uh, Marbury versus Mad Online, Djexile27. He said, who has been an unexpectedly fun intermission interview? Wow, that's a really good question. That is a great question. So are you talking current roster right now? The guys that are here? I mean, TK is always fun because he's really laid back. Some guys, when you talk to them right off the ice, you just get, you know, cliches and we got to work hard, we got to get pucks, you know, that kind of thing. Um, TK has always been very laid back and conversational, real chill guy. You can throw him a curveball question and he'll handle it beautifully and go right in stride with it. Some guys, if you did that, forget it. But TK is a guy that's always a good, easy interview um, right now. You know, on this team, you know, there's some guys that don't do off-ice intermission interviews, like Ivan Provorov. I mean, Kimo Timonen never did an off-ice interview. They like to go back to the locker room, and when they're in the game, they'll talk to you after the game, but they don't like to do it at intermission, which I totally respect. Um, I mean, there's some guys that gave me absolute dud interviews, and sometimes I think they did it on purpose because they didn't want to do them. I I think Jeff Carter was that way because I would talk to Carts in the hallway or he'd pop into the the room that I'm in off the hallway where the Flyers line up to go out on the ice and we would, you know, shoot the breeze and totally fine. The minute I put a microphone in front of him, it was like a worthless conversation. Um, Over the years, though, probably the most fun guy talking to, like I always love talking to Danny Briere because he's just such a good guy and a good communicator. Um, But Scott Hartnell, you never kind of knew what you were going to get there, was always a a guy that was fun talking to because I had called him in one time to talk uh, and he had just taken a a penalty late in the period and things kind of, that was a colorful interview. And he, you know, you know, Hartz, he's just got tons of personality. Pronger was a guy who always said something too. So um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different ones, but uh, through the years I've, I've talked with so many guys. I mean, there's some that I'll be like, geez, that was a total waste. But some guys are, are good talkers. Tony D'Angelo is a good talker. I will tell you that as well. Uh, let's go to uh, Chris tweeted in at CHHAM57. He says, my main concern right now with torts is that he's getting going to push too hard to get blood from a stone. How do you think he will balance his expectations with the actual talent level on the roster? I think that torts has done that beautifully already. I mean, he's a guy that's going to push them hard no matter who it is. But I think his expectations are in order. I think, I mean, he has said several times, I don't know what we have. I don't know who we are. He's got a ton to learn about this group. So I don't think that Torts has any expectations or 
delusions that he's got some team that's going to go plowing through the playoffs. I don't think that at all. And I don't think that he's oblivious to the fact that they don't have high-end talent. Uh, Josh White tweets in. He says, uh, can what Torts did in Sunday night's game hurt this team if it keeps happening? He said, I get it. If a player is not giving it their all, they don't deserve to play. But in a close game that you can come back in, did Torts do the right thing in benching guys, or are you not are are you not in favor of this? Um, you know, I don't know exact. I haven't had a chance to comb through the game film to see a few of the shifts that he would not have liked. But I, I'm fine with it. I'm totally fine with it. Because, look, I don't like that it was Kevin Hayes, and I don't like that it was Travis Konechny. Hayes is your number one point guy on the team right now with eight points. Konechny's number two with six. Um, I Obviously, Torts liked Konechny's game on Saturday, played him over 23 minutes in that game. Then came back Sunday and sat him for an entire third period. He only played about 11 minutes of hockey. So, uh, I mean, can it hurt? It can hurt if you got a lame duck coach, but I think it's pretty clear that Torts has a hammer right now. He ain't going anywhere. So if guys want to resist what he's asking them to do, then it's at their own peril. Because A, he is not going to flex. He's not going to say, okay, I'll let you off the hook this one time or anything like that. He's got the hammer. It's going to be his way or the bench or the press box. It's plain and simple. The man does not take days off from accountability. And nor should he. I know some people were complaining that those two were benched in that game. You know, a lot of people preach they want accountability, but when they see accountability and what it takes sometimes to really get guys to go to another level, they don't want to deal with it day in and day out. But that's what it takes. And this will preach accountability, not just to Travis Konechny and Kevin Hayes. It'll be every guy in that locker room because it Kevin Hayes and Travis Konechny can be benched for the third period, so can they. Doesn't matter who you are. Torts does not care how much money you make, what you've done in the league, what you're going to do in this league, where you were drafted, what your last name is, none of that stuff. He's got a standard. And he believes that every player's standard has got to be high to the max of their abilities and probably a little beyond. So, yeah, I am in favor of it. If he's going to hold everybody accountable, then let's hold them accountable. Let's not say we want accountability and then get mad when accountability happens. Totally fine with it. John tweeted and said, random question. What do the Flyers eat and drink before a game, during intermission, and after a game? Any alcohol involved? Thanks. Uh, well, I don't think they drink any alcohol before the game or at intermission. Um, I don't know what they do after a game. Uh, they have, you know, nutritionists, and they figure out, what they're going to feed them. I think there's some variables there of what time's the game. Is the game at home? Is the game away? Are they on the road? Or what are they eating after the game? If they're jumping on a plane, they'll have a probably like a steak on the plane or chicken, you know, a protein, a carb, and all that stuff. Um, they have special BioSteel drinks and powdered stuff that, and, you know, energy bars and all kinds of things that they have in between periods. Um, but I think there's a lot of variables in what they eat and eat and drink before a game. I mean, every hockey player takes a nap in the afternoon when they have a 7 o'clock game. I'm sure they wake up and 
the guys that drink coffee have a coffee. You know, get a little caffeine punch, get you back alert again. You know, sometimes you might have to break out the smelling salts. I mean, we've all seen guys on the bench breaking those out to really get you peaked up and ready to go. So, um, it, nothing earth-shattering, I don't think. I don't think they're having, you know, takeout or anything like that. Uh, and they're probably eating pretty darn healthy, considering a lot of it is down to nutritionists. There's a lot of chocolate milk or, you know, hot chocolate, those kind of things that help you recover as well. All right, that's going to put a wrap on this edition of Flyers Daily. We'll be back tomorrow. It'll be a Wednesday edition, and it still will not be a game day edition. It won't be back until Thursday against Florida and Saturday against Carolina to wrap up the month of October. But everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for the questions. We'll talk to you tomorrow on a brand new Flyers Daily. I, I'm a one-way motorway. I'm a road to drive away. Follows you back home I I'm a street light shining I'm a white light blinded